Happy Sunday, Tampa Bay. We're with you for another week to talk about the real estate market here in the Tampa Bay area. Andrew Duncan of the Duncan Duo, joined by Mike Corrigan with Cross Country Mortgage. And I'm going to start off the show today, first off, telling you to go follow us on all of our socials, at the Duncan Duo, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, uh, pretty much all of them. We're giving real estate relevant tips and information. We do cool giveaways if you're a past client of ours, so if you've bought or sold a home with us, send us a DM on any one of our social channels and uh, let us know that you want to join our private VIP page. We just gave out a whole bunch of Tampa Bay Lightning hats yesterday on our uh, private VIP page for past clients. So um, we'd love to add you to that group. So please send us a message and uh, and let us know and we'll add you to that group so that you can get some cool swag, some free stuff. And uh, tickets to games, all kinds of things. But anyway, back to real estate because I love talking about hockey. Yeah, look, the Lightning. We're in we're in hockey season. I even got my Lightning shiner going on <laughs> on my eye today. I took an elbow playing basketball this week and uh, got a little bit of a black eye going on. But um, but but so I feel the pain of the hockey guys. Yeah, you know, right? I feel it. The bumps week, and bruises. You know? Um, but uh, outside of hockey, let's get back to real estate. And and there's something that happens in the seller's market. Um, you know, look, every real estate market, whether it trends buyers, whether it trends sellers, whether it's foreclosures and short sales, whether it, you know, whatever the real estate market is, there are things that start to trend and happen and rear their ugly head based on the, the you know, the market. And in a seller's market, sellers get a little bit lazy because sure. they know that they're in the driver's seat, that a whole bunch of people that wanted their house and they're probably going to get way more money than it's than they should. Uh, that's not the right word. Not should. That then the market necessarily generates. They they create a bidding war. They get Correct. more market more than it's worth in a lot of instances. I believe you're worth what someone will pay you, so they should get it. Okay, but nonetheless, they get lazy. And here's what happens in a lot of situations right now. And I want to prepare buyers for this so that you're prepared. I want to prepare agents for this. Sellers aren't going to do the greatest job cleaning up the house on the way out right now. Yes. They know you're not going to walk. And they know if you do, the house is probably worth more money now than it was when you went under contract 30 to 45 days ago. And the extra hassle and frustration of them doing it will simply just put more money in their pocket. So so, uh, in a nutshell, be prepared that the seller isn't going to do a great job on clean out. Be prepared the seller may leave some of their junk in the storage shed. Be prepared the seller may not clean up their dog poop from the backyard. You know, the seller may have left some stuff in a cupboard. The seller may have left a piece of furniture. Guess what? The seller knows that if you say, okay, well, we're just going to kill the deal over whatever debris that you left, the seller knows there's zero risk to them. They're going to put it back on the market. They're going to call up a buyer who will gladly buy it with the piece of furniture still left in there. So, so just be prepared. Now, in a market where it's different, and I'm not saying every seller is going to be like this. There's plenty of incredible sellers who are going to have the house looking like you know Mr. Clean came through and shined yep. it up. But there are a lot of them that are going to sit, that are almost going to feel like they left money on the table, or they could have gotten more, or uh, now the house is worth more 30 to 40 days later, and they should have done this or they should have done that, and they're not going to want to clean up the house. It's just it's dishonorable in a lot of ways because the contract says what they should do. Um, but as a buyer, I think you just have to be prepared that you're probably going to have a little bit of an extra expense in a market that's this hot with sellers. 
for sure. Yeah, you you see it more and more. I mean, they, the sellers do have the upper hand, and what you know, you could argue that they're kind of taking advantage of it in in this situation and, and being a little bit sloppy and not bringing stuff back. But you're hearing about it all the time. And the reality is, is buyers would do the complete opposite in a buyer's market. Right. You know, like in a buyer's market, then the buyers, you know, going to puff their chest out and they're going to come in and say, oh, you didn't clean the floors. I want a thousand dollar credit. And because they know how they have the power and the control in the seller's market, the seller and the listing agent have power and control. So a lot of times they're going to fight back and say, OK, well, then, you know, if you really don't want to deal with the cupboard, then kill the deal because they're not going to lose any money, really. I mean, in a lot of ways, they might make more money. Now, is that always the case? No, but I'm just saying it's a bigger deal when sellers leave their junk behind. So what So what can a buyer do in these, you know, what can a buyer do in these uh, scenarios? First off, do the walkthrough on the day of the closing. Yes. When you do the walkthrough two or three days before closing, the seller hadn't even moved their stuff out, like... You're you're basically you're missing things, right? And, and you're not sure they're they're actually going to take everything away. So I'm I'm a believer in doing the walkthrough. Then get it get it in writing. You know, if you want the seller to remove something, ask to try and put it in writing. Seller may decline. Seller may say no. Seller may say I don't care what the contract says. I'm not doing it because you know what somebody else will still buy it. Um, so the reality is that you can ask for it. You can ask for a credit. You can ask him to remove it. You can cancel the deal. Probably a huge mistake right now. For sure. I mean, an enormous mistake with interest rates rising like they are. An enormous mistake with prices rising like they are. Because the next house that you find 30 days later is going to cost you a lot more money than the than paying 1-800-GOT-JUNKS money to come out and remove a, a few items. Right. And the seller might do the same thing on the next house. Exactly. So as the homeowner, you now own those items. I was if just going to say, yep. If you've closed and those things are there, you own them. Maybe there's something there worth money. Right. You know? Um, I, I believe in being a good, you know, person, and and I've had instances where sellers have left things that were valuable or that they really wanted to get back, um, you know, that they did on accident. I think in those situations, you know, but you know, the buyer of the home, look, it's karma. Work with the seller, get the item back to them. But if it For was sure. intentionally left, um, and and they just get, were lazy and sloppy on the move out, then then that stuff's yours. You can decide what you want to do with it. You can either pay it you can toss it you can donate it you can you know you can you can you know throw it up on ebay or craigslist and maybe right. make a little extra pocket change so again uh those are those are things that you can do um again you can do you know uh, you know you can hold, you can ask the seller to hold some money back until they remove it you can you can ask for a credit the likelihood of a seller giving credits in those situations today though is is slim yes. uh, that they just know they don't have to so so look at, you know, we got the elephant in the room with interest rates, right? Like everyone knows that they're rising. Everyone knows that we're in an inflationary market. Yes. And and buyers and the market as a whole so far haven't slowed down um, their pursuit. We're still seeing, uh, you know, lots of activity. We're still seeing lots of offers. Um, so again, um, it's just what you have to deal with. Historically, if you look back 10 years ago, so 10 years ago, I, I just saw something on Facebook, okay? 10 years ago, I had a client raving about getting a 5% interest right. rate. They were so happy they got a 5% interest rate. You know, 10 yeah. years ago, that was great. And you know what? It's where things are today. You can't roll back time. 
Yeah, you can't, and they, and they certainly have gone up much faster. I was thinking about it this week. You know, I rem- you know, if you roll back to shows in January, we said, hey, they're not gonna they're gonna go up this year, but they're not gonna go up that fast. And here we are; they've gone up that fast, so we missed it on that one. But you know, the reality is, yeah, they've gone up. There's there's, but in the grand scheme of things, it's still relatively low. You know, you're still getting an interest rate. They they went up above five percent. Um, and then the average thirty year mortgage, um, you know, this week for the first time since you know it. It was that way for two days in 2018, but before that, it was 2013. Um, that was the last time that, that rates were this high. So they are higher. That's going to be there. But you're right. The demand is still incredible that that is going to be out there. And um, the reality is still a really, really good time to buy because pricing appreciation is still going to continue and, going and up. So, we haven't seen that turn at all. So here's what I, I want people to put this into context for the people that are thinking about not buying because of interest rates rising. Okay. So, so again, this doesn't necessarily apply to the to, to the group of people that we kind of label as first time home buyers or low cash type people. To everyone else, okay, to people that have enough cash to buy a home cash, okay, um, or or have other investments, it's really not that relevant to your personal financial situation, your interest rate, because the money you have in savings, the money you can put into CDs, those were 1% a week ago, you know, not a week ago, a year ago. And the rates on those are going to rise too. So yes, your mortgage payment, if you go out and buy a house might rise, but the return that you're going to get on other investments and cash and liquid and CDs and savings accounts is going to rise proportionally as well. So in a lot of ways, it can be a wash for people, but they're not looking, they don't look at it that way. They hear mortgage rates are higher. Oh, this is this huge deal. But in reality, there are now going to be conservative investments where you can park cash and, and make a decent return. Now, of course, the, the cost of a lot of things is going up. But if you're simply talking about your your net worth, um, if you do it right, it, it can have a negligible impact. Yeah. And now you're hearing a lot of talk out there from from experts and other people that are with the, what the Fed is doing and rates rising so fast. Are we going to ultimately be headed towards a recession? And, and if you believe that, if you're in that camp that believes that that's going to happen in the next couple of years, one of the most anti-recession investments to have is real estate, right? Of course. It's, it's going to be there, and that would bring rates interest rates back down. So it, it still is a great time to, to go into that um, and, and get into real estate because now your asset um, being real estate is going to be more protected than if we're going to recession versus you know stock market. Of course. And, and like I said, you can now find – so your interest rates on your kind of guaranteed safe money that you have – is going to be higher too. So right. it, 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 it's like, you know, so yeah, I got a 2.5% interest rate, but I'm earning 0.1% on my savings account. If my interest rate goes up to five and have just as much cash in savings and my interest rate there goes up two and a half points, it it, it doesn't, it, it, it washes, you know, right. it ultimately washes itself. Um, but I saw a great statistic this week and we're actually going to talk about the statistic after the break. So Keeping Current Matters is like a real estate uh, data company. They yep. follow trends in in the real estate world. I went to a conference last week called Boomtown Unite. Boomtown is the web host provider. Um, interestingly enough, I'm like one of the 10 oldest. I don't mean old by eight. Okay? <laughs> I mean old by uh, tenure with Boomtown. Wow. I think I'm like customer nine now in terms of like length of seniority. I've been with them for over a decade. And so an incredible company out of Charleston, South Carolina, that does a lot of cool stuff with real estate technology and CRMs. And, and they host this event every year. And I miss it the last couple of years, some personal you know challenges going on. But but I went and it was incredible. But the keynote speaker was the, you know, kind of the head guy keeping current matters. And he talked a lot about 
um, what happens with real estate in interest rate rising environments and inflation environments. And it's going to it's going to shock you. I'll make sure that we put some of the stuff, some of the slides up from the conference on our on our social media. But uh, but I think it'll surprise you with what we're going to talk about. So we're going to continue that conversation and talk about rising interest rates and what happens to real estate values. Uh, after a quick break here on the Duncan Duo Show. So we're back here on the Duncan Duo Show talking about the Tampa real estate market. Andrew Duncan with uh, Mike Corrigan from Cross Country Mortgage. And, um, you know, look, I want to talk about this because it was pretty eye-opening to me. Um, You know, the conference I went to last week, they showed a lot of slides about what happens to real estate values when we go into an interest rate rising environment. A lot of people think, oh, it's going to cause real estate values to drop. Um, but the opposite is what has happened historically. Values go up at a faster pace than in low interest rate environments. And, and you know, I don't really know the, the rationale behind it. I would think that it's probably because it motivates people to jump off the fence, buy, to, right. to, to get in before they go even higher. Um, but um, if, you're, if you're concerned about it, Historically, the facts, okay, so the facts, like a lot of people have opinions, right? Of course. Like there's people that I know that weren't even old enough to drive that are now talking about what's going to happen to the real estate market because of what happened. To, bro, you were in high school then, okay? Like let, <laughs> let's just be real for a minute. Like you're in high school during the real estate downturn. I, I, was, I was slinging houses, okay? I was right. there, right? So, the, but there are so many people out there that don't grasp this. But each time interest rates have gone into these environments where they've dramatically rise, we follow a big, a, a, a more dramatic increase in home values than what had been seen prior to the interest rate rise. So the opposite of what you think is going to happen actually happens. And it's shown time and again in every cycle and every real estate cycle in history when you've had these big spikes in interest rates, prices rise at a faster clip. So the, the people that are talking out of their you-know-what with opinions about what's going to happen because of rising interest rates, they're they're based purely on opinion. There's no fact to support that. that. That's not what has ever happened. So real estate values in 2022, they're going to keep skyrocketing. I mean, it's just the reality of it. Um, interest rates are higher, and guess what? I still got 32 offers on a house. Yeah. You know, like it, it isn't going to change anything. And and the other part of it is, especially in Florida, um, you know, real estate is is hyper local, right? The the what's going on in Florida doesn't match what's going on in other parts of the country. We have this dramatic population growth that unlike we've in, ever seen, and more demand and more cash. So even if interest rates rise, there's enough cash buyers out there for every single property that hits the market. Yes, okay? it's not gonna. We're not heading to a real estate downturn. For to to have a real estate downturn, you have to have available homes for sale. We have one quarter the available homes for sale that we had just a few years ago. We don't have any homes available for sale. You gotta have a you gotta have an invent a dramatic inventory increase. We spent a decade underproducing homes in this country. After the last downturn, builders pulled back the reins, stopped building a lot of entry level product, built only homes with certain margins, didn't take as much risk, and built way below what we needed to build simply because they were all still kind of butthurt from what happened a decade ago, so they didn't want to take risk. Well, now that we've underproduced homes for a decade and we have the environment we're in now, we have this drastic low inventory that in order for the real estate market in Florida to suffer some sort of 
you know, stabilizing thing, inventory would have to go up like 4x. Yeah. And that's never happened over like a four-year period ever. And, and even on top of that, so all that is dead right, but even on top of that, what's happening is everybody in the country, where are they migrating when they're moving? They're moving south and west, right? Yeah. And so we're obviously not west, but we're moving, we're, they're moving south to us, to warmer environments and a, a more you know tax-friendly state that we have, the political environment that are there. The people are moving here. We've talked about it so many times on the show in droves to Florida, and they're bringing money from California yeah. and New York, and that's why there's a lot of cash. So the demand, for all the reasons you just said, because of the drastic undersupply, yep. But then we have more people coming too, yeah. right? So it's yep. it, it just it and, exacerbates. And, and here's it. one other point to make on this, okay? Because I have people say, "Oh, well, inventory rose dramatically during the last downturn." It doubled. Right. We need a quadruple. Yes. At least, and that would just get us to like a balanced market. The, the just before our real estate market took this huge turn back in the day, we had like five, six months inventory. Right. Right now we have two weeks, two weeks of inventory, one eighth. Like, I mean, literally like two weeks of inventory. And and so that's what people don't understand. People talking out of their you-know-what, talking about, oh, here we go again. This is going to be just like then. We don't need homes to sell. And and every home we have that hits the market to sell cash buyers is they're ready to gobble up. Interest rates are having zero impact on them because all they're doing is saying, okay, since we're borrowing money now, okay, so instead of we're going to buy this house for two fifty, and instead of renting it for twenty two hundred, let's bump the let's bump up the rent to twenty three or twenty four. And guess what? They just covered their costs. That's what. And I, I don't want to get into a huge economics lesson here, but every time I hear people talking about um, you know increasing wages. And all these types of things, we're seeing exactly what happens. Yes, the real estate market is a perfect example of what happens. Okay, so so if you increase the cost to the business owner, to the landlord, to the real estate investor, to the hedge fund that rents out homes, guess what they're going to do? Right. They're just going to raise the price of the product that they're selling, and your wage base, your increased wage did absolutely zero. So. Again, I think we, we're seeing it in action right now, and, and hopefully that proves a point for a lot of people that always think the solution to economic problems is paying people more, when in reality, it, it, clearly, it isn't solving the problem. So that's what's happening. You're gonna, you're, even if the, these hedge funds are paying more on their money, they're simply just going to charge more rent. Yep. And and it'll be a wash to them. So well, anyway, that's my economic 101 <laughs> political lesson. We'll be back after a quick break here on the Duncan Duo Show. So we're back here on the Duncan Duo Show talking about the Tampa Bay real estate market. When we aren't on air, follow us at the Duncan Duo, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. I want to shout out my Instagram uh, page at the Duncan Duo again, my my marketing guy. I think we had like 10 videos in a row that got over 10,000 views on Instagram, which is which is pretty cool. Wow. So, so yeah, 10 reels in a row. I think we fell off the wagon this week, but prior to that, we had like 10 in a row that got over 10,000 views. So definitely getting some traction uh, with some of our social media, putting out content for real it's estate It's good, you know, and, and it's, I'll yeah. give him a shout out too. It's good yeah. content. I like yeah. his, his you know, where he's asking yeah. questions to your yep. team and some yeah. of their answers and it, 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 it's good stuff. So yeah. take a listen. And I think, and I think again, just kind of getting that uh, getting that traction because in addition to putting out content for customers we're hiring real estate agents sure you know? right and, and that's some of the content we're putting out there we're putting out content about luxury real estate because that's something a lot of people don't realize that we do they see how many homes we sell but they also don't understand like we have a whole division and agents that specifically work with our clients that are looking to buy and sell homes above a million dollars and you know yesterday i was at a property in bradenton that was a you know million dollar plus and the week before that we had one uh, in odessa 
And then we've got a client in South Tampa with the $2 million house. So we definitely do a lot of the of the high-end stuff, just like we sell the $300,000 houses. It's just a different agent and a different you know platform for it. But uh, if you are thinking about getting into real estate, join the duo.com, register for our career night, apply for one of our open positions. We're always looking to grow and um, definitely in a growth environment right now. I think there's going to be a lot of real estate agents as the market changes. Going to get out. They're, they're going to either get out or need to be somewhere else because it's gotten harder and harder to win offers and generate leads, um, which is something I think we've mastered through the years. We've spent millions of dollars on our brand and, and lead generation and, and just have a plethora of past clients and leads and referral opportunities and and companies that choose to work with us because of our size and scope that you know we're exclusive with. You know, so so there's a lot of cool things like that that we're doing that are um, you know available to real estate agents that join us. But uh, but nonetheless, join the duo.com. So let's say that you are thinking about hiring a real estate agent. Um, you know, one of the questions that you want to ask someone, you know, that I think is important is how many homes do you sell? Or how many homes have you sold? Um, I see the question, how long have you been a real estate agent? I'm not a huge fan of that. Yes. How long you've been doing something doesn't mean you're doing it well. There are a lot of real estate agents that have been agents for a decade and are absolutely terrible. Yeah, I mean, I'm just I'm just being yeah, honest. Like, you know, they a, haven't they haven't fast they haven't stayed up with the times. They don't sell a lot of real estate. Right. Length and tenure of doing something doesn't mean you do it well. I would rather work with somebody that's done 25 transactions in two years than 25 transactions in 10. For sure. Truthfully, because they're a more they're a better agent. They're they're a, they're a hustler. They're going to work hard. They're you know they they make enough money to be able to advertise. You know, somebody doing two and a half transactions a year for 10 years. They ain't got no money to advertise your house. Right. You yeah. Know? And yeah, I mean, it's, I, I've heard you say before you want someone, you know, someone who's been in the, there's a difference between someone who's been in the business for 20 years or been in the business for one year, 20 times, right? Exactly. Like, and, and it's a line I've used for you, but you get a lot of people that just don't do a lot of business and they're coming out of the woodwork, you know, as of lately. And you really see it out there in the marketplace, yep. the level of professionalism, not knowing what to do or not being yep. up to date with what's going on. Yeah. Do you work independently or with a team? I think yeah. is, uh, is is a good one. A team, a lot of times, like ours, is going to have additional support. They're going to have transaction people. They're going to have listing people. They're going to have administrative support to be able to provide you better service. It's no different than going to a doctor's office. When you walk into the doctor's office, if the doctor is the one checking you in, that's a problem. <laughs> right. Okay. If you go to a law office and the attorney doesn't have someone else answering the phones, probably a problem. You know. So again, a team approach is just simply going to have. Uh, more people, more resources, more availability. Um, what's your schedule and availability, I think, is one. Um, that's going to help you, to me, that's going to help you determine whether someone has another job or whether they're a full-time agent. If they have sure. another job, what happens when you need to see a house and they're at their other job? This market's super competitive. Yes, You're going to miss out on the best homes that hit the market if you're working with an agent that has another job. It's just the reality of it. It's it's if if they're at another job, then they can't respond to you as quickly enough. They can't make an offer. They can't go and look at stuff that they're just going to miss out. Um, how many? Uh, I, I think another one is, you know, maybe what has the what have you done to help a client in bidding war situations, whether a buyer or a seller? Like, what's your stance on how right. to accomplish that? Um, how will you determine what homes match my wants and needs? Uh, is a great question. I think again, you're you're trying to understand how that client can, um, you know, work with you and, and what your expectations are. Another big one is how do you like to communicate? All right, so 
there are agents that like text. There are agents that like email. There's agents that don't even know how to use their phone. You know that want to. You know that that, that they want to be on the phone. You know, I mean, it varies, right? Yes. Like it's it just you need to make sure that the type of communication you prefer matches the type of communication that agent is comfortable performing. I think this is such a huge one because now, especially with, you know, we've gone through this information technology age, right? And depending on the age of the agent and the client, right, can have a huge difference between how they like to communicate. And if you are a texter and all you want to do is text and everything else, and you're dealing with maybe a real estate agent who is a little bit older or whatnot, who doesn't, you know, barely knows how to, like my parents, who right. barely knows how to text or is just getting onto that bandwagon, you may find yourself struggling or frustrated because, you, you know, you're not communicating. So I think that's a huge way. And I think it's a great question to ask so that you are on the same page of how you're going to communicate when you're going to communicate. You know, I know people now, they just don't read, you know, I'm like, well, I sent you an email. They're like, I don't read my emails. <laughs> Well, yeah. why do you have email then? Exactly. Right? Yeah. You know, but but you, so knowing what what's going to be there, I think that's that's a huge one. Yeah, knowing what the, the type of communication I think is a big one. I, I think another um, important question um, when you're kind of gathering and understanding the agent's um, you know experience, for example, um, you know what neighborhoods are they most comfortable in? Okay. Now again. There are agents at my company that have been doing this a long time. They know every neighborhood in Tampa. They can tell you the pros, the cons, all that kind of stuff. And then there are agents of mine that prefer to work in specific areas or specific price points. Every agent's a little bit different on that. So, you know, make sure that you're not – and here's another key. I see this happen all the time. And, you know, we went on an appointment last week for a client that was selling a multimillion-dollar property. And the other two agents they met with had never sold a multi – ever – like had never in their entire real estate career, you could look it up on MLS and sold them. A, make sure that the agent that you're working with has legitimate, provable experience in the price range that you're looking to buy within. If you're wanting to buy a $500,000 house and all they do is help $200,000 buyers, the, the level of experience, strategies, the, everything varies by price point and by neighborhood. So, sure. so you want to make sure that you're with someone comfortable and competent enough to help you um, you know, it, with your unique real estate need. So those are some tips we have in terms of interviewing agents. Um, another thing I want to roll to really quickly, um, a lot of investors out there wonder when it's time to get an LLC. Like when is it time for me to buy a house in a company name versus my individual name? Big topic. And and so we've only got four minutes for this big topic, but, <laughs> but I'm going to hammer out a couple of things okay. here. Um, you certainly can buy a house in, L in an LLC. Yes. You can. Um, typically, you're looking at a cash deal. There are banks that will loan. There are commercial yep. lenders that will loan like their own money. You can certainly get money in a corporate uh, purchase. Depending on the track record, personal guarantee or not, there's a lot of hoops to jump through. Um, but you can do it. Um, but when it's time to get an LLC. So for me, every, every person's risk tolerance is different, right? Um, for me, I thought... Um, you know, there are a lot of people that advocate for, this is not legal advice. This is not, I'm not a CPA. I'm not an attorney. <laughs> I need like a little quick This is not a special terms and conditions apply. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, for me, um, I feel like for a lot of investors, 
uh, going in your individual name can be okay, depending on your risk tolerance and the number of assets you, you own with some extra insurance, you know, an extra liability, right. an umbrella policy, yep. you know, th- those types of things. When it gets to the point where you need to really consider LLCs, if we're talking a lot of property and your risk tolerance gets really high, you're well known, you have a lot of money, um, you know, so again, get the advice from your attorney and your CPA. But for me, I believe a lot of times people overthink it and they, 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 they try and overthink it too much where insurance could solve their problem or their concern about liability. Um, it's also for some people. Um, a um, a masking of identity. Thing. Right, you know, they privacy. want to own properties and LLCs because they don't want people knowing. So whether you're an individual small time guy or whether you're you're trying to go big, you know, along that scale of risk tolerance depends on at what point you really start looking at an LLC or even LLCs per individual houses or how you handle your asset situation. So there's tax complications, there's legal complications. Again, this isn't you know advice for me. I think when I got to like maybe three or four properties that I owned free and clear and I had enough assets, then I thought, okay, now is the time for me personally to look at doing LLCs. Um, and, and, you know, but for some people, you know, if you're going to buy one house, you might have to look at the cost of the tax, return, the extra tax return, the, the the higher fees you might pay because it's corporate owned versus you know versus personal owned. Um, so there there are things to consider, but um, you got to weigh the pros and the cons and determine is the expense for the LLC protection worth it, or could you just get a, a you know an umbrella extra liability over insure the property? Yeah, and and so you can talk to your real estate attorney, you can talk to your CPA, your tax accountant, and make sure you're talking to somebody in Florida because the rules and the laws oh, in yeah. Florida no are a lot different in some of the other Man, states. And I got people that are like, oh, my uncle's an attorney in New Hampshire. Right. No, no goes there. Yeah, like, you, no, it, probably it, not a good it, idea. It can be really different in Florida. And there, and again, most people are doing this for one reason and one one reason alone is that's to, to make sure they're protected, right? Sure. And 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 so there's 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 ways to do that, and LLC sometimes is the best way. Sometimes it's not. So you know, get the advice of a professional out there. Yeah, and if and you're someone that so. owns investment property in your own name and you want that extra coverage, go hit up weinsurethebay.com, yeah. our insurance agency located in our office that I'm partnered with. Um, would love to quote you on a liability policy. A lot of times that can make more sense for people. For There's sure. also a lot of people out there getting cancellations right now on their insurance. Same thing. If you get a cancellation, if your carrier's raising your rate. So, you know, if you're getting an increase, hit us up again, we insure the bay.com. Caitlin from my office will reach out to you and talk to you about your, your insurance needs. The, the other thing that I'll say about, um, you know, insurance that I think a lot of people um, make the mistake on is when they do take off property, they occupy and turn it into a rental or vice versa. Um, the insurance yeah. policy needs to change too. A lot yes. of people don't do that. Right. They they don't change it. They don't notify their insurance carrier, and then you could have a claim get denied because they found out you're renting the property and you didn't change your insurance. So yes. Sometimes it's not more expensive to do that. Sometimes it's less expensive. Yeah, I was going to so, say it can be cheaper. So, yeah. so I think a lot of people avoid doing that. But again, we insure the bay dot com. Uh, hit us up. Do put out. You know, you can get a quote right on the website. And uh, we're going to be back with our last segment, wrapping up the Dunkin' Duo Real Estate Show after a quick break here on WFLA News. So we're back here on the Dunkin' Duo Show talking about Tampa Bay real estate market. Andrew Duncan with Mike Corrigan from Cross Country Mortgage. We're going to talk about earnest money deposits or uh, escrow deposits, depending on where you're at in the country. Everyone calls it a little bit different. I think a lot of times here it's called escrow deposit. Yep. Um, so how much? How much should you put up? What's the number? Okay. Look, every situation is unique and different. Every house is unique and different. So what I'm about to tell you may not apply to your situation. Listen to your agent. 
you know, they're, they're the one that knows what's going on with that particular house, that particular agent. Every single situation is different. So, um, you know, there are times where you need to put up more deposit, okay? There are times when you can put up less. So one of the mistakes people make is offering too little of an earnest money deposit. If you're buying a million-dollar house and you want to put up $500 in escrow, good luck. You're probably not going to get the deal. Your escrow deposit is basically telling the seller how serious you are about the purchase of the property. So for in, in my mind, um, you know, if you're serious about the property and you want to convey that and you want your offer accepted, you need to come in aggressively on the escrow yes. deposit. Your escrow deposit is at risk, though. If you cancel for a reason the contract doesn't give you, the seller can stake claim to it. The seller can say, nope, I'm not giving you your deposit back. So if you offer too little, um, you're, you're, you're risking not getting your offer accepted. So w- what I tend to see right now, you know, on a $300,000 house, you're probably looking at like 10. Um, that's, an aggr- that's a good, strong, you know, fr- few percentage point number. Um, back before the market was as hot, you could regularly see, you know, 1%. Right on an escrow deposit, you know, you could see two hundred thousand dollar house, a thousand in escrow, two grand in escrow, and probably be okay. Three hundred thousand dollar house, couple grand. But as the market has gotten hotter, you that number, the average number that you see being put up in escrow, is a higher number because the market's super competitive. So, um, you know, if you offer too little, um, you know, you can, um, you know, it it can be a big deal. Yeah, and listen, I mean, if you're if you're planning on say you're, you know, you're going to buy the house and you're going to put ten percent down on a three hundred thousand dollar house, so you're going to bring thirty thousand, you have that saved. Putting a higher escrow up front shows how serious you are and may make the difference. And again, you got to talk to your real estate agent, make sure you have on there because it can be at risk. So you got to realize if you're going to cancel, what you can and cannot cancel for. But putting more money up a lot of times will make your offer stronger because it'll show how much more serious you are about it. And if you were going to bring that money anyways, why not bring it up front if you're really serious about buying the property? Here's the devil's advocate of that, though. Sometimes you put up too much. Sure. Because maybe you're dealing with an unscrupulous seller or a a difficult situation. And let's say you put up 50 grand on a $200,000 purchase. Kind of risky because what happens if you cancel or what happens if the seller disagrees that you have the right to cancel and you get into some legal situation? Very true. Technically, with escrow deposits, here's what happens. When you put up the money, it's no longer yours. It's not the seller's either. It's the transaction's money. So for you to get that money back, the seller has to sign off on it. Okay, And, and of course, there's always persuasion from the agents and the title agents involved that they know it's kind of a black and white, the buyer sure. should get the money back situation. Um, but- there are plenty of scenarios where people have put up large escrow deposits and the seller doesn't want to give it up and the seller disagrees or doesn't like that the buyer canceled, so they fight him over it. So I'll tell you, um, you also have to be prepared that that money is at risk. Just like investing anywhere else, put it, the money is at risk. You, you Know that if you put up too big of an escrow deposit and something goes awry, that money could get held up. You could lose part of it. You could have to negotiate. You could have to give some. So make sure you're not putting up more than you're comfortable to potentially lose Right um, on the house. It, it could happen. So um, another escrow mistake that people make is not following the timeline in the contract for escrow. For sure. Okay. The, the contract typically says escrow either needs to be put up or if you leave that section blank, I think it gives you two days. Um, you know, every contract's different. Again, not legal advice. Read your contract. But- Two days typically is what is what you're you're looking at if you leave it blank. It could have to be up as soon as the contract. The seller could require certain things, but you don't want to miss out. You default if you don't put up escrow in time. You know, I've I've actually personally made the mistake. Um, you know, I have a big company. 
I put an offer on the house, goes under contract, send instructions, forget my bookkeepers out for a couple of days. Do you think escrow is going to get put up? Right. Forget that she's gone on vacation and escrow doesn't get put up in time. Seller changes their mind. We haven't put up escrow. We've defaulted. They can kick us out. Right. So again, you know, I'm experienced. This is what I do for a living. And sometimes it can people make mistakes, you know, so it can happen. So you don't want to miss out. You don't want to not follow the timelines in the contract or in a competitive market like today, the seller can kick you to the curb and go to somebody else. Right. Cause they may mind. have had another offer come in that was actually better, but they were already under contract. And so now this gives them their, you know, you, you default on it so they can kick you out and take one that's, that's more money or a better offer. It, it could be their way. So you got to make sure you follow for sure. Another thing I think is important about putting up escrow is, um, Again, competitive market, you're wanting to win the offer, put up the escrow where the seller wants it to go. I mean, that that's just, again, that's just, the, you know, there are plenty of people out there that don't want to do that. They want to put it up with their own company or the agent's title company or an attorney or whatever. But um, there, there are a lot of sellers out there that want the comfort of knowing that that escrow deposit is, is going where the closing is going to happen with the company that they've selected. So, um, you know, again, legal advice may say put it somewhere else. You may not get the deal, though. You know, that, that could be a determining factor for why your offer doesn't get accepted. So uh, definitely something to keep in mind. Anyway, we appreciate you tuning in. Uh, enjoy the rest of your Sunday, Tampa Bay. And thank you so much.